Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, Ing host Allison Moss sits down with Sarah Jackson from Casa de Paz in Denver, Colorado, an organization offering shelter to immigrants and their families who have been released from U.S. detention facilities. If you were just driving past it on the main street that it's located on, you would have no idea. It just looks like a warehouse. And in fact, one of our guests who was released from the detention center told us it is a warehouse. They're just storing people inside of the warehouse and not material or products or supplies or whatever. Sarah will be sharing more about this unique ministry in Denver, Colorado, and what it means to be a person of faith working with refugees. Hello, everyone. This is Allison, and welcome to another episode of Ing Podcast. Today, I am here with Sarah Jackson, who's the executive director of Casa de Paz, which is an organization that works to reunite families separated by immigrant detention here in the United States. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. So will you introduce yourself a little more, talk about yeah, who you are, and maybe a little bit of an intro about Casa de Paz as we get started here? Sure. My name is Sarah, like you mentioned, and I live in Denver, Colorado. And just sort of to take y'all on a little bit of a journey, I'll explain my sort of introduction to the world of immigrant detention and family separation and for-profit detention centers. About 11 or 12 years ago, I had absolutely no idea that any of that existed. I, I was just apparently living in a little bubble world. I was working in Colorado Springs at a church, and I was the pastor's assistant. And, and in the morning, I would go to work, I would do my thing, and then I'd go home, and I'd work out, and I'd have dinner, I'd go to sleep, and I'd do it all over again in the next morning. Uh, never thinking about families being separated by detention centers, never thinking about asylum seekers coming to the United States seeking safety, never thinking that there were for-profit prisons that were responsible for locking up immigrants and and, and inevitably separating them from their families and, and actually making a profit off of it. Just wasn't a blip on my radar. Wasn't something I woke up thinking about. Um, one morning, I go to ch- I go to church, <laughs> aka my work. I went to the church, started working. One of my jobs was actually to check the email of the pastor, um, and I would go through his email. I would respond to his emails for him, and then when he got to the office an hour later, he didn't have any emails to respond to. And the older I get, I truly believe that is heaven on earth. Can you imagine that? Like someone checking your email and then you go to work and you have no emails. Like that is heaven on earth to me. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but for me, Absolutely. heaven on earth. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I get to, to the office. I start going through his email. There's this invitation from Catholic Charities uh, in Colorado Springs. They were putting together a group of pastors to go down to the Arizona-Mexico border 
And it was a trip that was meant to explore immigration and particularly as people of faith, what is our response when immigrants come to the country that we live in? And I read through the email, didn't pique my interest, but I, you know, I checked our pastor's calendar to make sure that, you know, maybe he would be available to go. Well, turns out he was busy that week and I was responding and I was letting Catholic charities know, thank you, but no, thank you. We're going to pass on this. Uh, I was just about to hit send on the email when at the very bottom of that invitation, I noticed these words that did pique my interest. And those words were, were all expenses paid trip to Mexico. And I, and I thought to myself, hmm, he can't go because he's busy. But what if I go instead? Because I love to travel. And I had never been to that part of Mexico. So I thought, Maybe I'll go instead of our pastor, you know, under the guise of learning about immigration from a faith-based perspective. But really, it's just going to be a free trip to Mexico. So I asked Catholic Charities if I could go instead of him. And they said, sure, come on. So I went down there. And for the first time in my life, I, 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 I mean, for obviously, I learned a lot on that trip. But the most in, impactful part of that trip was meeting people who were really impacted by our immigration policies, by the border wall, by, you know, border patrol officers along the border. I mean, the whole thing. And, and every time I met someone, right, whether I met a, fa a father who had just been deported and separated from his three children and wife who lived in Washington state, or whether I had just met an asylum seeker, a pregnant woman from Central America who was fleeing violence and coming to the United States for a better life. Every time I met someone, I imagined that that could have been my family. That could have been my father. That could have been my mother, my brother, my sister. And is this how I would want them to be treated? And the resounding answer every time was no, absolutely not. I would never want my family to experience what folks along the border were experiencing. And so I came back from that trip completely destroyed and feeling like my world had just been turned upside down. But knowing deep down in my gut, I, I had to do something. I wanted to do something, particularly in regards to families that were suffering because they were being separated. Uh, so I moved from Colorado Springs up to the Denver area because there is a an immigrant detention center here that has the capacity to hold about 1,500 immigrants at any given time. And I rented a one-bedroom apartment right across the street from that detention center. And I called it Casa de Paz, which means house of peace. And eight years ago when I opened up the home, I... I imagined it being a place kind of like the Ronald McDonald home where families from out of town that were coming into Denver to visit their loved one who was locked up in that detention center would have a free place to stay. Uh, so I lived there. It was a small one bedroom apartment, but eight years ago, the concept was, okay, a family from Texas comes into Denver to visit their mother who's detained. Uh, they can stay with me. I'll sleep on the couch. They can have the bedroom. They'll stay for a few days. And then when they go back to Texas, we wave goodbye and I clean the house and I get ready for another family. Um, and, and that was great. It, it happened um, 
to be that that it was a need and that that families actually used the home. But then slowly and surely we started recognizing other needs that we could we could uh, play a part in in uh, providing some assistance. And so now, fast forward eight years later, not only do we have our hospitality home open for families, um, and we've moved from a one-bedroom apartment to an actual home with multiple rooms, uh, but we also have a really uh, a thriving post-release support program. So when immigrants are released from the detention center, let's say they won their asylum case, right? So they win, congratulations, you're free, uh, but your family lives in Florida or Pennsylvania or New York. How do you mm-hmm. get there, right? So we come alongside and help that transition from detention to their final destination. And then we also have a visitation program where we spend time with people who are detained. And just a reminder that they're not alone, that we haven't forgotten about them, that they matter and and that they're worthy of our love and our attention, just like we all are. Um, so yeah, since we opened up eight years ago, we have hosted 3,163 guests from 77 countries. So folks from all around the world have passed through the doors of the Casa. And I just always feel so, um, you know, honored that God chose to trust this to me and to our community. And I just feel incredibly thankful every day that I wake up and am able to be, um, you know, part of a a, you know, a, a team that really cares about putting families back together because we believe that's where they belong. That is such a an inspiring story. I definitely relate to the, you know, I, I think God wakes us up to lots of different things. And I, I know that I was someone who was very naive to, I probably still am compared to a lot of people, naive to what goes on in our country when it comes to immigration policy and the detention centers and everything that people who, you know, immigrate here struggle with. Um, a couple years ago, I traveled with a few campus ministers in a group of college students to the U.S.-Mexico border at Douglas, Arizona. That's where I went. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Agua Prieta right on the other side. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was great. We, we went just to visit really um, and to engage with this topic that you know, was getting, I think, a lot of negative attention and press because of the whole wall building campaign. And going there shed so much light on, you know, the problems that our policy causes here, not just in that border community and not just for Mexican immigrants, but, you know, more broadly, our, our immigration policies But I think it is so easy to create this narrative around immigration that, like, that's something that's happening far away from us. Like, I didn't know there was a detention center in Denver, Colorado, until I was learning about you and your organization. And I think that that's probably true for a lot of people in the U.S. They don't realize how close to home this actually is and how it is affecting the communities that we currently live in not just those at the border or not just even like the poorest communities or wherever we want to say that other place is. How aware do you think your community is there? How do you engage the broader community in Denver around the detention center, especially as you do this work? Yeah, I think that's a great point because 
like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's not something that's really talked about, you know, on a, just a casual sort of basis, right. With your friends and family. And unless you're presented with that opportunity to learn more about it, it's not going to probably be something that you wake up in the morning and go to Google and start Googling Mm -hmm. immigrant detention center near me, you know? Um, And I actually found out about the immigrant detention center because there is a group here in town called the American Friends Service Committee, and it's a group of Quakers, and they put on a vigil in front. Well, it's a it's a prayer vigil slash protest, however you choose to look at it. Um, yeah. they, they do it once a month, and it's an opportunity for us to come together literally in front of the detention center uh, to raise awareness that there is this prison right in our backyard. Um, You know, if you were just driving past it on the main street that it's located on, you would have no idea. It just looks like a warehouse. And in fact, one of our guests who was released from the detention center told us it is a warehouse. They're just storing people inside of the warehouse and not material or products or supplies or whatever. This vigil slash protest, uh, you know, we would stand with signs. People would drive by and they would be curious. They would honk. They would pull over just to learn more. Why were we there? For us at the Casa, we're very laser focused, right, on our mission, which is to provide Mm -hmm. hospitality for folks leaving the detention center, hospitality for families coming into town. So as far as raising awareness and advocating, that's more a sort of a byproduct of our main mission, because when a volunteer goes through our volunteer training and then they have an experience with someone who's been released from the detention center or they meet someone maybe through the pen pal program or whatever the case is, they really become our biggest advocate and our biggest cheerleader because they understand, you know, on a literally a first name basis, right? Like it's no longer Mm -hmm. a, a statistic or a number or a figure that they hear in the news. It's an actual person that they've met or that they've corresponded with probably about a year ago, one of our volunteers um, reached out to me via email and she said, hey, I just went through the volunteer training. It was wonderful. Thank you for putting it on. And I feel ready and and inspired to to go and and help. Uh, But I, I have a little bit of fear in my heart because a lot of the folks that I know are a little bit more conservative in their thinking. And I think I'm going to get a lot of pushback from them if I start volunteering with an organization and the word immigration or detention center or asylum seeker comes up in the conversation. So she said, could I please have a, an article that sort of gives me the numbers, right? Like X amount of people come to the United States and apply for asylum and X amount of people are in detention centers and have committed a crime and X amount of people end up winning their case. You know, just give me some numbers. And I said, yes, I do have those, those, uh, those articles that I could send you, but I'm actually not going to send them to you. And she's like, um, okay. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to, to spend a couple of nights around the casa. So I want you to sign up for some shifts where you pick up people who have been released from the detention center, or I want you to bring over a meal and enjoy it with us around our big table with folks who've just been released from the detention center. 
or I want you to come over and just spend time with a family who drove in from out of town to visit their, their father who's detained. I want you to have a couple experiences. And then I want you to use those experiences to guide the conversation and see what happens. And, um, and she said, okay, I'll give it a go. Right. So then I went like on her Facebook page because I love drama and I'm like, oh my gosh, like she's gonna, I know like she's going to post these experiences and like all of these friends that she's worried about, they're just going to like jump on her and attack her. And there's just going to be like, you know, sparks flying and the whole thing. And I'm just like ready for it all. Right. Like I've got my popcorn. I'm like, okay, here we go. In the uh, comments, you got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like notifications on. <laughs> um, and uh, and so yeah, she has the a few experiences. One evening, she came over to the casa. She spent uh, time with a family who was coming in from out of town to actually pick up their father, who was being released from the detention center. And then the next experience she had was with a gentleman who had himself just been released from detention and was trying to figure out how to get home to his family in Texas. So she wrote her experience and posted it on her social media. And every single comment from her friends and her family, which remember, she was very worried about having this, you know, um, negative reaction. Every single comment was, wow. Thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for being there with that person when he was released. Thank you for just sitting in the same room with that family to let them know that God loves them, that they, they're beloved in God's eyes, right? That they were created in God's image. Thank you for doing that. Um, and I, I just, you know, can't help but think to myself, the difference between somebody having that personal experience and sharing that with their community versus posting another article or, I mean, I don't want to say this because I do want people to share the podcast, you know, but I, you know, if you were just to (laughs) share a a podcast, but there is something to say about having a, a deeper connection, right. To the quote unquote issue, which really isn't an issue. It's about a person at the end of the day. Um, but that's really how we see our role in the advocacy, raising awareness realm is to give people that opportunity to have an experience and then to use those experiences to guide their daily conversations with their friends and family and community. Absolutely. And I think that was so important in my travels down there with students too. Um, I remember, you know, we, we said we were going to go down there. We advertised it in our different worshiping communities and we applied for campus funding um, and everything. There's this like such a separation between what's actually happening and what is being told um, that I had so many people in my congregation, like, Oh, be careful when you're down there. Like it was a scary thing for them that I was going down there. And even we weren't allowed to cross the border because uh, the university put restrict- restrictions on our group for safety reasons. And us going down there, we realized there was nothing. Uh, I mean, traveling anywhere, there are risks, of course, but like nothing in particular about going to this place and being with these people um, was putting us in harm's way or whatever, whatever they were worried about. But mm-hmm. I, And I know that you're focused more on the meeting the needs, but I do think there is this important piece of 
of sharing this counter narrative, um, not only for, you know, people to be able to support programs like yours and support the people um, who are in these detention centers, but I think also the narrative that we are presenting as American people toward people who immigrate here, right? Like the message we're sharing with these detention centers and ICE officers is this message of, of hate. And I think the beautiful thing that you all offer is the counter narrative of welcome, mm-hmm. um, of love. Uh, and that's just so beautiful. We're going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsors and invite you to consider sponsoring Ing Podcast. You can also play a big part in helping us spread the word about this podcast by giving our new Facebook page a like and sharing your favorite Ing Podcast episodes with friends, encouraging them to subscribe and join this movement of leading, growing, and being as people of faith. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everance. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step. How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at everance.com. Before my that very, very first trip to the border with Catholic Charities, I was telling my parents and a few friends that I was headed down there and, and I was getting articles where like, oh, they just uncovered this like mass grave of people who were beheaded uh-huh. in the desert or, you know, all of these things. Not necessarily to try to scare me, but to, you know, just, hey, you know, just be aware, right? So mm-hmm. I did have a little bit of a heightened sense of fear as I was headed down to the, to the, to that trip. And the scariest thing that actually happened to me was one day I, we had bikes, right? So we were kind of like going back and forth. Sometimes we would spend time on the Mexico side of the border. Sometimes we would spend time on the U S side of the border. And there was this one day, my friend Amanda and I, we were crossing the border on our bikes and we were on the Mexico side of the border and we were just, I don't know, we were taking a shortcut. We were trying to get to the, to the library. And so we were going through a neighborhood and I'm not like the best biker, right? But like, I know how to ride a bike. So I'm just, uh-huh. you know, like on my bike with my helmet. And then all of a sudden, these little chihuahuas come out and they're like these tiny little dogs and they start barking at us like we're invading their home, right? We're on the street. We're on like the main street. They come and they're like literally biting at my ankles. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am, what do I do? These dogs are going to like eat me alive. Like, well, how do I get out of this? So I like swerve my bike to like get, get away from them. And then there was a car right next to me. I almost hit the car because of this silly little dog. That's like 10 pounds. Like I'm afraid right. of, you know, and, and I look back on that and I laugh because what I experienced 
the most on that trip was actually hospitality. And I just Mm -hmm. wrote a book. It's called The House That Love Built. And yesterday I was reading a section of it to my friend and I was recollecting this experience that I had at a pastor's house on the border. And they invited us into their home for dinner and their home was so warm. It was cold outside. It was so cold outside. It was mid-February in Mexico. I didn't know Mexico got cold. Well, it does. And so (laughs) I was freezing that whole trip. And so we walk into their home and it's just is so warm. I just was like, Oh, like, I don't know how they kept it so hot inside, but I, it was just, I was living for that moment. So I was like, just feeling so comfortable. And I, you know, I took off my coat and we sat around the table and then, um, one of the women was making homemade flour tortillas and serving them to us. And I, I stopped counting at 14, um, tortillas because I was like, I, I cannot like, I'm cannot live with myself knowing that I've eating, eating more than 14 tortillas at a time, just going to stop counting. So, I mean, I was just like eating and enjoying the conversation and we were all together around the table. We were complete strangers to them, but for one of the, you know, first times in my life, I felt like I was part of their family. And, and I was, as I was reflecting on that, I, I thought to myself, well, that is exactly what hospitality is, right? Hospitality isn't necessarily or isn't just inviting friends and family over for dinner. It's inviting the stranger into your home. It's inviting people who you don't know at all into your home and inviting them to be part of your, of your dinner or of your evening or whatever the case is. And that's what I love so much about the Casa is that we have this really unique opportunity. I mean, obviously now in COVID times, it's a little, it looks a little bit different, but we do have this opportunity to bring lots of different people under one roof, people from all different countries, all different cultures, speaking all different kinds of languages, eating all different kinds of foods. And we're under the same roof together complete strangers at the beginning of the night. And at the end of the night, we feel close to one another. We feel like we have made new friends. We feel like we are closer, not only to the people that we met that night, but to humankind in, in, in general, right? Because if, if I can find a common, a common trait or something that connects me to a complete stranger, then I can imagine, oh, there's probably somebody halfway around the world that I can also connect to. We're not all that different at the end of the day. And that's one of the best parts of Casa de Paz is is being able to meet people from all walks of life and find something that that brings us together. Um, And that that just makes, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but that just makes me so happy. And I'm just, that's when I come alive. Oh, that does sound like an ultimate dream. I think especially, you know, we've been in quarantine for so long that (laughs) it sounds extra (laughs) special right now. But I am curious, you mentioned that, you know, things have changed for y'all since COVID has happened. I'm curious how that has changed the work that you do or the way that you support people. COVID started hitting right like around mid-March kind of time frame Mm -hmm. and within a couple of weeks the detention center had a few what we call mass releases of folks from the detention center Um, so these were you know 
instances where six people or 12 people or 16 people all at once were released for a variety of reasons, but mainly because of underlying health concerns that showed if they're in a prison, which, you know, if you're in a prison, you're three times likelier to contract COVID than if you're not in a prison. So, you know, they, they came up with this group of folks at the detention center who um, who fit the criteria that, okay, like, for example, one woman, she only had one lung. Um, and um, that's obviously dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so we put together, or not we, but there were groups in the Denver area um, that put together um filings in order to get her released from the detention center and the judges agreed to it. The ICE officers agreed to it. So at the very beginning, we saw a ton of these, well, not a ton. (laughs) We saw three, which was more than I've seen in eight years, but we saw three sort of mass releases. So overnight, we basically shifted how we do things at the CASA, like Mm -hmm. drastically to accommodate these mass releases because we thought, we're going to be seeing lots of these mass releases, but after the third one, we didn't see any more. But overnight, we sort of shifted how we do everything, all the way down to the little detail of creating a new volunteer position, which we called Space Captain, which was a volunteer at the detention center who was making sure that all of the volunteers on, on site were keeping the, the, the six feet distance apart. We call him Space uh-huh. Captain. I love it. I love that. That's such a good title. Right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, from there, when the, overnight we shifted everything to accommodate mass releases and, and not knowing if the person released from the detention center had the virus or not or what precautions the detention center was taking to make sure they weren't releasing contagious people, the whole thing. Um, some of those uh, have shifted or some of those, those changes have stuck. For example, mm-hmm. when um, our volunteer, before they go to the detention center to pick up someone who's been released, we make sure they're taking their temperature and that they haven't been traveling or haven't been exposed or, you know, the, just basic stuff like that. But one mm-hmm. of the changes that I am the most proud of is a new program where co- we've called CASA on Wheels. So before COVID, what would happen when somebody was released from the detention center, you know, they could get out at nine o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon or six o'clock at night. And if they were released, they would actually be walking from the back door of the prison where they're released from. They'd have to walk along the sidewalk and then find their way to the front lobby of the detention center and wait there for a volunteer to pick them up. And so they, they might wait for an hour or two hours or three hours until somebody could, could, could get over there and, and pick up everybody who had been released. Um, and when we started realizing, oh, my gosh, like in these detention centers, it's extremely dangerous to be, to be in, in a prison because you're just at a higher chance of contracting the virus – the last thing we want to do is have somebody wait even an hour longer in that lobby for a volunteer to pick them up. So we got together as a team and started brainstorming ways to make that transition from the back door of the prison to the front door of the casa a little bit smoother. So what we ended up doing is purchasing a van um, that we, like I mentioned, we call Casa on Wheels, and we've converted the van. It's a big van, um, and we've we've converted it to be like a little waiting room, a little lobby area with benches and shelves and and snacks and water, all, all the basic stuff that we would need. 
And a volunteer actually hangs out in the van Monday through Friday, just looking at the back door of the prison. And as soon as somebody is released, we are there within minutes to greet them, to give them a warm welcome, and then to take them to the casa where we can start planning their travel logistics for them to get wherever it is that they need to get to. But that's one of the things that COVID has actually um, made us sort of up our hospitality game. Um, So we've got our van there, which is parked right outside of the detention center. Uh, And then another thing that we've obviously realized is that pre-COVID, it was absolutely normal to have 10, 15, 20 people in a small home at the same time. And that's just not safe any longer. And so we are developing a new program. We're calling it Las Casitas, which means the little homes. And instead of having five guests sleeping in one bedroom all together in close quarters, uh, we are creating this opportunity for community members to open up their individual homes for one guest for one or two nights as they're making that transition from detention to their final destination. Um, And organically in the past eight years, we've already had over 20 volunteers who've just done that and opened up their home if we were ever at overflow or whatever the case is. Um, And as we've been researching and developing this Las Casitas opportunity, we reached out to every single person who had opened up their home. And we said, how was your experience? Would you do it again? And every single person said, yes, we would do this again. It was an amazing experience and and made our lives so much richer and fuller for having it. We would do it again. And and then one of the, I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed around the Casa, but one of the other things is with our visitation program, before COVID, we were only going into the detention center here in Denver and physically spending time with people through that visitation um, program, face-to-face, right? They weren't, mm-hmm. all the visits were, were through a window and a telephone because they're non-contact visits, but we were in the same room at least. Um, well, mm-hmm. because of COVID, ICE has actually temporarily suspended all in-person visits. So we were cut off, sort of like without any notice. Just one day we were able to go visit and then the next day, nope, not happening. So we shifted and because we obviously weren't just going to forget about, you know, the dozens of folks that we knew by first name basis in the detention center, we're just going to forget about them. So we thought, well, what else can we do? Oh, well, we can we can write letters with them. So now we have a, a pen pal program, which is amazing because not only can we continue to stay in contact with our friends who are detained, but we've also been able to offer that volunteer opportunity to folks that aren't just in the Denver area. So now we have people literally all around the world who are writing with people who are detained and not just in this detention center either, because just like any other prison, you can be transferred around detention center. So you may end up here in Denver and then you hear a knock on your door and it's the guard telling you to pack up your stuff, you're being transferred to Texas or to Pennsylvania or to Chicago, wherever. So you go there. So we've actually still been able to stay in contact with people who have been transferred to other detention centers. And then when they go to a new detention center, 
the, the immigrant goes to a new detention center and they still have their pen pal that's writing with them, somebody else in their pod may say, who, who are you writing to? And they say, oh, it's my pen pal in Denver or in wherever. And then somebody else will say, well, I want a pen pal. So then we'll get mm-hmm. names in other detention centers. So so right now we're actually writing with folks in 12 different detention centers across the country. And, you know, there are literally hundreds of these detention centers all throughout the country. Um, and we're only writing to 12 of them, but, but that's 12 more than zero, you know? So mm-hmm. those are some of the ways that we've shifted and, and, and been a little bit flexible and fluid in how we're but it literally, I mean, I'm sure, you know, as, as most people know right now, it's a day-to-day thing. What I, what I say today could completely change tomorrow and we just have to be okay with that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've done a great job anticipate or not anticipating because it all kind of <laughs> swept our feet out from under us, but adapting to these challenges in a very creative way. And I think that's as hard as this whole pandemic is. That's something that's been so inspiring to hear about how people just can't be stopped, right? Like, no, we still have needs to meet. We still have people to serve. And so we'll find new ways to do it. Um, And so I'm really glad. I'm really excited about your van. I was reading a little bit about that on your website. And I was like, that's such a great idea. So glad that those things are working out. Our volunteer community is, I mean, everybody says that they're volunteer, like if you're leading a nonprofit (laughs) or a ministry, right? They're the best. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you. They're not. (laughs) Ours are the best. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we we had a, a volunteer actually offer to lead a brainstorm session and that's his job. He works at this multi-million dollar company and his job is to take upcoming ideas and flesh them out and see which ones are really stick and which ones don't really have any merit or value. And he said, Hey, Mm -hmm. let me help run this brainstorm session. And, And the way that he did it was pretty cool because he said, okay, we've got this problem, right? People are being released from the detention center and we don't want them to have to wait in the lobby. How do we get them to the Casa safer here? We're going to split up one group, you've got $250 to determine the best way to, to make this transition smoother. This group, you've got $25,000. How are you going to create it? And at the end of the night, the ideas that we had were fantastic. I mean, all the way from, uh, okay, well, we could set up a taco stand in front of the detention center and we could serve the tacos, not only for people who've been released um, and have it, you know, be a permanent fixture there, but we could also serve it to the guards and the ICE officers and the judges so that they know, oh, Casa de Paz is still open and they're still welcoming people who've been released, right? So uh, we had a taco stand idea. We had um, in maybe whatever, I'll just say it because we didn't do it, but there was (laughs) an idea that was like, well, what if we like bribed the guards and we said for every person that you refer to us we'll give you ten dollars yeah (laughs) all of these ideas that one didn't make the cut but a lot of good ideas came from it that did make the cut (laughs) yeah well and that's just such a an important posture to have I think that you know a lot of church leaders um are in that same boat that's like I work with the congregation as well as with the campus ministry and it's we're having to take that posture because there are needs that need to be met. And the more creative we can be with it, the the better we're going to be able to meet those needs into the future. 
Um, so that's just wonderful to hear. I'm curious, um, changes from COVID are one thing, but I'm wondering, are you anticipating any changes under this new administration for the better or worse? We're hoping that some of the policies enacted or in, in, um, yeah, enacted by the Trump administration, such as some of them, like the remain in Mexico policy, which basically has shut down asylum seekers at the border. We're hoping that things like that will be reversed and more asylum seekers will be allowed into the United States um, while they're waiting their immigration hearing or their uh, hearing in front of the, the immigration judge. Um, because what we've noticed, and I think what a lot of us have noticed, is that the Trump administration did every everything in their power to shut down immigration uh, for particular groups of people, right? Not all immigrants, but for particular immigrants, they did their best to try to discourage and um, and make it even deadlier for them to cross. Um, and in fact, we are on track to have the deadliest year of people crossing uh, crossing the border and, and losing their life in the borderlands um, than we've had in, in the past decade. Um, and that's because people who are desperate will do anything that they can to find safety. And when we essentially shut off asylum at the border, people will go around and try to cross more dangerous sections of the desert and they will end up dying. And we, and we see that in the numbers. I mean, it's, it's not, Oh, we think it's happening is that we found more bodies this past year or this year, 2020, than we found these past 10 years. And, and the, the sheriff there along one of the sections of the border said, and and those numbers are unrealistic because for every one person that we end up finding, we, we probably think there's at least five more that we haven't found. Um, and so I think that we're, I'm hopeful at least that some of those, those, um, like the remain in Mexico policy, the refuge, even though we don't really see a lot of refugees uh, at the Casa because we're dealing mainly with asylum seekers, um, the refugee limit that Trump continually slashed year after year after year for no reason, right? Like there, there's no reason to, to cut off the number of refugees coming into the United States, but we're hoping that those will be dismantled and that the, the, the ceiling will be raised to higher levels. Uh, but, and then obviously DACA is a pretty no brainer, you know, that people will mm-hmm. be able to reapply for DACA and, and have that status. Um, but I think, I think COVID, I think the Trump administration, I think the Obama administration, I think all, wherever, whatever administration you're under, I think we have just got to realize that our save savior right is not that administration mm-hmm. that the the people that are that we have a lot of power in the people and that we are the ones who can actually make a huge impact we cannot rest for too long of course we need to rest of course we need to fill our tanks of course we need to take a deep breath of course we need to pause right but we can't do that for too long because the, those changes are not going to, some of the changes may come from top down, but there are many more changes that can come from the bottom up. And that's what we're committed to. 
Sarah, thank you so much for the the work that you do. I just am feeling inspired. I was going to ask you more directly about, you know, what brings you hope, but I, I feel like that's maybe part of it is that we hold power and, and we can make a difference and, and meet these needs, no matter who the admit who holds power um, in a, the formal, the formal setting. People in these powerful positions can tell us what to do, but then they can go around and could be a complete hypocrite. So at the end of the day, it literally does not matter what they're telling us to do. What matters is that we know what is the right thing to do, what is the, the good thing to do, and that we actually do it. Because it's not mm-hmm. going to matter what the people in power, some of the people in power are going to say. Because a lot of people are just going to say one thing and do another. So it was just right. a, another reminder to stay focused. <laughs> Absolutely. And while at the same time, we pray that policies change to make, make it easier. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You've yeah, got two, two lanes right by each other. Sarah, in your story, you mentioned, you know, you were answering the pastor's emails. And I think a lot of pastors or people in leadership listen to this podcast and maybe they think, okay, great. There's one more thing <laughs> I have to add to my plate. Um, but in your story, I think that something beautiful is that it doesn't have to be <laughs> the one pastor's leader uh, who like goes and does this thing, but can be it can be so empowering to give other people that experience. Um, but I don't know. Do you have something to say to those pastors who maybe feel overwhelmed and don't want to add this to their plate, but still see its value and, and want to see justice in this area? I totally get it. I cannot tell you how many times I wake up in the morning and there's an email and it's some volunteer who says, hey, Sarah, have you ever thought about doing X, Y, or Z? Or, hey, Sarah, have you ever thought about doing a bond fund? Or, hey, Sarah, have you ever thought about starting a sponsorship program for immigrants in detention? And I, this is my response when it's a new program, right? Like something that doesn't really necessarily fit in with the mission of the CASA. I say, that's a great idea. Would you like to lead it? And Mm -hmm. so far, three programs have started that way. One is a sponsorship program with folks who are detained and don't have anyone to sponsor them. We have another volunteer, Francie, who started a bond fund for people who couldn't pay their immigrant bonds. Um, And she's now they've freed, I think, over 75 people from the detention center. And then Greg, another one of our volunteers, started a, a legal defense fund. And so I get it. Like, We can't take it all on our plates. We have to be able to say, okay, that's a great idea. Now you run with it. Um, And one of the things that I can offer too as a suggestion, uh, my book that I wrote, The House That Love Built, we have a, a reading discussion guide. So it can literally be as simple as finding a book that you can give to the missions or to the outreach or to whatever or, you know, ministry that's in your church and that they can read through it. And then the reading discussion guide has discussion questions that you can engage your small group or your congregation together. And at the very end of the reading discussion guide, there are ideas for you to take your knowledge that you've just learned and put it into action. And some of those are simple, right? Like maybe becoming a pen pal with someone in detention, which once a month you write a letter with somebody. Uh, But then there are also things that you can do that maybe take it a little bit further. Maybe, you know, seeing if there's a detention center in your area and maybe having folks 
who are interested in opening up their homes create a hospitality network. And one thing that I do want to say is that if anyone listening is curious or had their interest peaked and wants to learn more or what should I do, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can contact me. If you go to our website, you can um, find my contact information. I know when I started the Casa eight years ago, I felt sort of like a fish flailing around in water, not really knowing, well, do fish flail in water? I guess they were <laughs> flailing on the land. I felt like a yeah. fish flailing on land and just like flopping around. Uh, and so if I can be a support to anyone throughout this, very happy to do that. I actually used to coach volleyball and um, that was one of my favorite things to do is coach and 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 stand alongside someone who's like, I want to learn how to pass a volleyball or I want want to learn how to serve a volleyball and take them from ground zero, right. To like, now they're jump serving and, you know, making 10 points in a row. So I like mm -hmm. to kind of use that same skill set here at the Casa. So please feel free to reach out. I'm, I would be honored to have a conversation. Sarah, will you tell us what your website is and, um, maybe social media contact so people can find you, even if they just want to follow along with what y'all are doing? Yeah. So our website is Casa de Paz, Colorado.org. C-A-S-A-D-E-P-A-Z, Colorado.org. And then you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, just Casa de Paz. That's the easiest thing to do, right? Just follow along. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I feel like I could talk to you all day. You're just so enthusiastic and I just makes me feel energized um, about what you're doing and just even what I'm doing, even though it's unrelated. Uh, so yeah, so grateful to talk to you. Hopefully when you come to visit PA and we go see a volleyball game, we can talk more, but, um, yeah, thank you so much for being with us. I had so much fun and thank good, you good. for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit about what we're doing here in Colorado. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support in podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization, for their ongoing support of in podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on in podcast? Let us know by emailing the ing at mentalmedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on AIM Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. AIM Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at mennomedia.org.